Wasn't that Mighty Men of Valor awesome? How many of you were there? Just raise your hand. Okay. Most of you all that, that went. Powerful, powerful time. I think it was probably the best ever. I don't know if you noticed, there was themes in that convention. Themes that are derived from really our pastor's heart, my dad. In the meetings we've been in, in the multi-regional meetings we've been in, we've been able to hear his heart over the last several months. And uh, so all the preaching pretty much came out of the vision that he was giving out, the current vision of Victory Outreach. And I don't know if you remember the message I spoke, but I talked about having a clear vision. Number one, having a clear vision that we need to get the blurriness out and have a clarity of vision. Then I also talked about the promises. They're still the same. The promises of Isaiah 45, 2 and 3, you know, the treasures out of darkness, that's still emotion. Even though 54, 2 and 3 has kicked in, Isaiah 45 is still emotion. Both of them are going together at the same time to reach the world for Jesus. Then I also talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit. With the promise, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get it. It's not going to happen. It won't be accomplished. We need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Then I also talked about the VO distinctives, Victory Hours distinctives in our preaching and in our discipleships. You know, a lot of churches, big churches, don't preach on commitment. Commitment is not one of their terms. They don't preach on sacrifice for sure. They don't preach about suffering for the cause. They don't preach about carrying your cross, denying yourself and following Jesus. They don't teach on giving quite like we do because there's a whole world to reach. We need people that are faithful and they're giving. They're tithes, they're offering, united we can. The only way we're going to reach the world is if we have these types of preachings continued. If we start going light on the word, then we're going to have a light congregation. We're not going to have a committed people, and they're not going to be mobilized. We can't mobilize people that are not committed. So I talked about those things, and I talked about how we need to continue to be faithful to the preachings that we've been preaching about vision, about leadership, about family, about all these things, about you know, counting the cost and reaching the world for Jesus. We've got we to keep doing that. You see, I have a pretty large church right now in a good area, beautiful building. And if I started going generalized on my preaching, I'm going to have a bunch of people that are not going to do nothing. And I could easily preach that way and probably draw some crowds. But I refuse to become a generalist. We're called to be specialists. Are you hearing me? So we can't let ourselves drift. And young people these days, too, there's a lot, so much going on on the Internet and all these different preachers or teachers and, and, and TV, that could also draw us away if we start letting that drift, you know, get us, we're, we're so, um, what's it called, the word I'm looking for? Impressionable. There's a lot of young people who are very impressionable. They, they get impressed with certain teachers or preachers, and they say, ooh, that guy's good, I'm going to follow him. And they start getting, deriving their messages based on their preachings. And before you know it, they're discipling people to that vision or that ministry. And we're not going to have committed people, the next generation. So it's very important as the bridge generation and also the now generation catches the vision pure and that they continue to preach and believe in the same vision that we started with. Amen? The last thing I've talked about at the conference, at the convention, was unity takes work. That when we're, when we're dealing with Northern Cal, for instance, we need to have a unified vision. 
There can't be division going on. Whenever there's division, there's a less of what God wants to do. It's not, it's not what the, the maximum of what God wants to do. We can't divide. We can't allow ourselves to be, I got this area, you got that area. No, we're all together in this. For the Northern Cal and for the world. That we're all in the same page, doing the same thing in our areas, but also we're ready to unite whenever needed to take other cities for Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a hand. So that's, in a nutshell, that's what I preached about. It was much longer than, than what I just shared right now. But my dad was able to tell me, he goes, you know, you preached everything I wanted to say. And I felt good to hear that because I thought, man, I must be on the right track. He said, man, you hit it. You hit it. Everything you, I wanted to say. So get that CD or listen to it on the internet. I don't know how you guys get it, but get it. That, absorb that because it was a lot in there that I think is for now. Amen? But the only way we're going to accomplish this great vision and continue on with this great work is we've got to have passionate people. Passionate people. One of the things my dad has been talking about recently, he's talking about having the passion for God and having the passion for the work of God. He says, if you don't have passion, you can't, we can't take this thing any further, especially as leaders. See, we're living in a society where there is less and less commitment. There's less commitment in marriages. There's less commitment in government. There's less commitment in schools. There's less commitment in, even in the church. You see it's infiltrated because there's so, much, so many options now in our world, so many things, so many cable stations. How many cable stations do you have or satellite stations? Like 900 now. I don't know. There's so many, so many things to watch. There's so many things to do. So many movies to see. There's so many games to go to. All these different extracurricular activities could also distract us or take us away from our priority. Our priority to serve God to the fullest extent. So many have fallen us into a mediocre or apathetic type of Christianity. They used to call our generation the slack generation because we like to kick it just want to kick it, hang out, you know, not do much, just, just relax and kick it and just rest. But that's not what we're called to do in Victory Outreach. See, the dictionary defines apathy as a lack of feeling or emotion. Apathy is also noted to be a lack of interest or concern and indifference. So when you fall into an apathetic state, you become neutralized in the kingdom of God. In other words, you're not usable. You're not productive. You can't get nothing done in an apathetic state. And many people have fallen into a deep spiritual sleep. And it's going to take people with passion to wake them up. And I believe I'm talking to people in this room that have passion. Your passion could also grow. It's not done growing. I want us to look at Romans chapter 12 verse 11. Let's start actually in verse 9. Okay, it says, are you ready? Okay, I'll give you a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Okay, let's, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. This is the verse. Not lagging in diligence. Say, not lagging in diligence. Say it louder, not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Say that, go ahead. Serving the Lord. Let me just take this for me for a minute. 
I'm going to read you another translation. New Living Translation says it this way. It says, never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Don't be lazy serving the Lord, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. You see, to me, that talks about passion. The definition for the word passion is an intense emotion, compelling action, a strong devotion to some object, activity, or concept. So basically for us, passion for the vision, passion for the movement that God has put us in. God puts you in this, re- this movement for a reason, to raise you up, to be a passionate warrior for his glory and honor. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray you help me to communicate effectively. We want to see more passionate men and women rise up in these last days to serve you with all their heart, with intense emotion, with enthusiasticness. Lord God, I pray that we would raise up more people on fire for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ask the person next to you, say, do you got the passion? Mike Tyson. Y'all remember Mike Tyson, right? What do you remember him most for? Biting that ear, right? So do I. But, but I look back at his early fights, and I've seen some of the history on him. And in his early fights, he was a different man. He had that passion. He had that sense of fire in his eyes. When he walked into the ring, you would see him pacing back and forth like that and waiting for the guy to come in, his challenger. When his challenger would come in, he would stare him down with those eyes like that. And as soon as that guy would look away, he goes, I got this fight. And he would, he would put fear in them just by the passion in his eyes, that intense emotion, that, 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 that feeling of, I got this. You see, number one, we need to have passion for God. If we don't have passion for God, forget about ministry. Forget about doing a good work. Forget about being productive in the things of God. Passion for God is the number one thing we got to have. See, David, we all know David's story. He had a relationship with God. He was a man after God's own heart. Now, how did he establish that heart for God? How does the heart of the bay establish a heart for God? He did it in the shepherd's field by serving, taking care of sheep, stinky sheep. They don't smell good. They're not easy to take care of. It's constant watch, constant taking care of them. And and that passion that he had to serve his father and and to also serve the Lord, he began to play music to the Lord in in the shepherd's field, worshiping the Lord with his harp, developing that connection and intimacy. You see, passionate people have time with God. They make time with God. See, the more we get busy in the things of the ministry, the less time sometimes we spend with God. You can get so busy that you forget the most important thing that we need to do is spending time with the Lord. So what is your heart after today? When you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? When you go to sleep at night, what are you thinking about? Thinking about your bills? Thinking about your work schedule? Thinking about your children? Thinking about your wife? thinking about the next show you're going to see, thinking about all these things, all the clutter of life could begin to squeeze out the things of God and the love for God. We got to make sure we maintain a real intense, it's not programming either, not because because you're on a fast for the church. You're not doing it for that reason. You're doing it because you want that connection with the Lord. You're doing it because, not because Pastor Steve said we're all calling a fast. No, because I want to get that connection with the Lord. I want to know him. 
I want to get closer to him. I want to become like him. Now, who is your heart after? What is your passion for today? Do you have passion still? Who sits on the throne of your heart? I believe Jesus does. But we got to spend time with him. He longs for our time. And we need to long for him. One of my prayers every day is, God, I want to get closer to you. If I get away from you, I lose. I will lose big time. I need to stay close to you. I need to stay before you. I can't do anything without you, Lord. I, I, I can't even, I can't do anything. I know I can't without you. And if I do do it, it's not going to produce anything. Sometimes we rely on experience over the experience. You see what I said? Experience in doing ministry. Oh, I know how to do Bible study now. Oh, I know how to teach now. Oh, I got some wins under my belt. I got some followers now. People look up to me. I have disciples. I have leaders I've raised up. Look at the trail of fruit I leave behind. You forget that who, who caused that to happen. Who gave you the ability and the power to do it? We got to remember, it's passion that's key to our productiveness in ministry. Now, why is it that so many people lack passion? You probably see this in your disciples. You maybe see it in yourself, some of these reasons. Some reasons why they have allowed something precious to become familiar. They've allowed something precious to become familiar. It's kind of like my daughter. She's 10 years old, and about a couple years ago, she was given a cat called Milano. The cat's a beautiful cat, a full-grown cat, and Vivian Villalobos gave it to my daughter without asking us. I put her name out there. <laughs> so we were stuck. So we already have a dog, okay? We have a basset hound, Puff, and that, one's our, that already became familiar to my daughter, okay? Now we get this new cat, well, older cat, but new to us, and she fell in love with the cat. For the first several months, she would take care of the cat. She would feed the cat, clean the litter of the cat. But then little by little, she began to drift away from that cat, and no longer was a cat really important to her as much as it was before. The cat became familiar. Just recently, the other day on Mother's Day, I'm walking home from my parents' house. We live down the street from my parents' house. I'm walking home in the dark, and the little kitten starts coming to me. And going, like, like hurting, like a hurting, like it was a little treasure out of darkness. <laughs> a hurting little kitten, two weeks old. <laughs> It looks like a little tiger. It comes up right to my feet. And, you know, I, I don't like to pick up dirty things, you know. So I thought, ugh. I don't have nothing to put on my hands. I'm one of those types of people. I don't like to pick up dirty things, dirty dogs, dirty anything. So I go, I, how could I leave this kitten by itself? <laughs> so the compassion to get it and pick it up. I was wondering, is it going to bite me, give me rabies? I, know. I was worried, you know. I picked it up, and it was just a little cute. It just fit in my hand perfectly. And I go back to my, to my wife, my kids, and I say, look what I found. So Brooklyn didn't know yet that we found this little kitten. So we go to the house, and we tell Brooklyn, look what we found. Bam, she fell in love immediately. She got a passion immediately for this little kitten. So ever since we found this little kitten, she's been taking care of it night and day. She comes home from school running to that little kitten. A passion for her little new kitten. A new love she found. But the problem is, is that many times newness wears off with people. 
your new wife becomes an old lady. I don't mean, that's what they call you guys sometimes, right? This is my old lady. That's kind of cold, I think, but you know. A new husband becomes a, you know, an old dude. Old dudes are cool. You ever see that shirt? But you begin to lose that passion. You don't appreciate what you have. You begin to lose that sense of closeness. You begin to lose that sense of delighting yourself with that companion or that pet or whatever it may be. The same thing could happen with the Lord. It's a lack of hunger that sets, settles in sometimes because we're feeding ourselves through other venues or other things, and before you know it, it's taking the place of the number one thing we need to have appetite-wise is for the Lord. The strategy of Satan is to take what is most precious in your life and make it appear as most common. Make it appear as most common. What's most precious? There was a, a, a man that lost his wife. And this is a while back. This is my, my wife's in-law, my in-laws, my wife's aunt. Her name was Lupi. And she had this husband for several years, many years. But every time she would try to show affection to him, he would shun her. He wouldn't give it back to her. So finally it came to a point where she just left. She left him. She, she left him. And then he began to fall apart, saying, what did I do? What did I do? That's the problem. You didn't do anything. You didn't spend time with her. You didn't go after her. You didn't pursue her. You didn't receive her love. And she got tired of it. She ran, she ran to empty. I'm not saying that's a reason to get divorced, but she wasn't even a Christian. But she kept trying and trying and trying. It didn't work. And that could happen even in the things of God. If we're not careful, we lose that connection with the Lord. We lose that oneness, that closeness. We lose that sense of I need you, that intimacy that God wants us to have. See, we need to remember our first love. That's the key here. Your passion for God. If the devil can't steal your salvation, he'll just make you forget what it's like to be lost. If he can't steal your salvation, he'll make you forget what it is to be lost. How many of you remember how bad it was when you were lost? Some of you are crack addicts looking for little pieces and specks on the floor, crawling on your knees, looking out the windows, or helicopters coming in. You're a paranoid. You're driving your car. You're drunk. And you're looking in the rearview mirror. You're all high. You're like, oh, man. It's like a fearful feeling all the time, an anxiety feeling. You weren't at peace. You had no hope. You were lost. You were bound. You were blind. But somehow Jesus came into your miserable life, changed you, turned your life upside down and right side up. Your new creation in Christ Jesus. That's why we got to remember the point of our salvation. What Jesus rescued us from. And I think about that quite often. It gets me back to that first love. It gets you to think, ooh, my dad has always done that too. I don't know if you noticed. Many times he talks about his, his conversion. That takes him right back to that first love. And it's important for us to keep that before us or else we becomes too common. And before you know it, we don't value our great salvation. Are you hearing me? Another reason why we lack passion, some people, is because our unwillingness to sacrifice. Our unwillingness to sacrifice. We like to live in the comfort zone. We like it easy. We like to have things that are convenient. See, many people in this generation are just like what I'm just describing. They don't have a desire to sacrifice. Some of them have never seen sacrifice. 
They never experienced sacrifice. See, the pioneers of this ministry have paved the way through sacrifice. They paved the way through suffering at times, sacrifice, and a lot, a lot of commitment. Blood, sweat, and tears have got us our foundation of victory outreach. My parents lived in the rehab home for 14 years of ministry. I grew up in the home to begin my life, first 12 years of my life in the men's and women's home. I don't complain about it now, but at that time, I didn't like it altogether. I wanted to have my own home. I wanted to have our own house. I wanted to have a room of my own. I wanted to be able to be like the normal kids at school. But then my, my friends would tease me and say, who are those people that dropped you off in that ugly van? Because they would get dropped off in BMWs, Cadillacs, some of them even limos. We lived in a suburban area that was kind of rich, you know? That's where the Hacienda was. So they would say, man, you live in a mansion. I go, yeah, that was a good point. Yeah, I live in a mansion, seven acres, yeah. Well, who are those people with the tattoos, the big mustaches? I gotta be honest, I said, they're, they're the help. <laughs> they're the help of the house, man. I didn't know what else to say, you know, because it was, it, it, to say it was a rehab home was not too prestigious, right? Not only that, I don't even think it was, we were in the zoning for have a home there, so I didn't want to blow it for my parents, so I, I had to say something. But I, now I look back to those days and I reflect on all the good times. Swimming in the big pool, playing handball in the ham- they had a handball court. We had animals, we had chickens, we had rabbits, we had horses, we had ponies, we had goats. The goat was the leader of the whole pack. Whenever they would escape from the land, the goat would be leading the way. Horses would be following. It was, it was like Animal Kingdom or something, you know? And I had it, my dad bought me a little mini bike, MR50 Honda, that I'd ride all over the property. I mean, I had some things going good. At the time, I didn't appreciate it. But now I appreciate it much more than ever. Thank God he raised us up in that environment. Thank God he raised up men and women out of that home. Thank God that they stayed saved and that they went out and started works all over Victory Outreach, all over the world. I think even your parents lived there for a while. How many, do you remember how many years? Two years, right? Yeah, because I would see them all the time. I mean, I remember his mom would babysit us, Josie, when I was a little boy. Anyway, I'm reminiscing. Talking about sacrifice, talking about people paying a price, talking about even putting your family in a place where they pay the price with you. They may not appreciate it today, but they'll see the value of it tomorrow. People willing to do and go wherever for the Lord. Are you still in that place where you're willing to go wherever God calls you? Are you still in that place where you're saying, I'm mobile for God, whatever God wants, I'm ready to go? I got challenged on that recently, just two days ago. My dad says, you know, South Africa, we need to go get over there. And I said, yeah, okay, when are you going to (laughs) go? And he says, no, I'm going to send you on an assignment. And I said, really? I got a church to run. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I'm thinking it. I got five kids and a wife. And she, I go, how long? And I was hoping not, not three months or six, please. I want you to go for at least one month. And I said, yes. I said, yeah, I'll do that. Sure, no problem. And I probably would have said yes to three months too, even though reluctantly I would have said yes. 
but I would still never say yes. So everyone's being tested. You never know. When you get around my dad, you may be thinking, Australia, he'll send you to Uganda. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened with Danny Carrera. He, we went to lunch talking about New Zealand in Australia. Him and his wife were there, and we're eating lunch. All of a sudden, my dad says, hmm. He's asking about his experience and this and that. He goes, you know what? I, hmm, we need you in South Africa. What do you think of that? So from one continent all the way to another side of the world continent, he said yes. And he's thriving today in Johannesburg. God's using him today. It's blowing up in South Africa. We now have four churches. It started in Mitchell's Plain. We're in Cape Town, one of the bases, also Pretoria. And then we have the new one in Johannesburg. And Johannesburg is, uh, is special, too, because of quick growth. In the last seven months, they already average over 120, close to 150 now in seven months. Some of our churches that have been established for over 10 years can't hit 100, 100 people. That's sad to say, but it's true. In America, like I said, there's a decline. Even if it was in the paper, there's a decline in churches or in religion. There was a, one of the paper, I saw a highlight there. It was a headline, and it's a proven fact that religion is down in America. So we're fighting an uphill battle, but I think for us in Victory Outreach, we have a different group of people to reach. See, we don't just save lives, we change lives, right? We don't, just, we don't just get them soul saved, we get them saved literally from death. That's what I meant to say. We literally, right before they die, we get them, boom, God uses us to snatch them right out of the devil's hands. The devil was waiting for them. God, I can't wait for you to come here. And all of a sudden, victory outreach, I snatched him out of your hands. He belongs to God. So we have a mission that's different than your ordinary church. But it takes a lot to grow our churches because a lot of the people don't want to sacrifice, don't want to commit. But there's ways to get them there. If you're a passionate leader, you can impart something to them that they can't get from a teaching or a book or a lesson. It's an impartation. That's what I'm doing today. I'm trying to be an imparter to you, not just a teacher. If I can impart this heart to you of passion, then you can carry that with you and impart it to others. Another reason why people lack passion is because we want acceptance and approval. We want to be accepted and approved by people. In other words, we want to be people pleasers. We succumb to the peer pressure. We succumb to the people that are nominal Christians. We don't want to ruffle their feathers. We don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. So we lighten it up for them. Instead of telling them the truth in love, what we do is don't tell them the truth at all. And we don't challenge people because we're afraid to be rejected. We don't challenge them for change because we're afraid they're going to turn on us. I, I refuse to be that type of preacher. When I preach on Sunday mornings, we have over a thousand people coming in from all walks of life and I'm preaching the same commitment that I preached back in the gang days. Why? Because we want to raise up a generation of men and women that are warriors for Christ, full of passion for God and for the things of God. I said it at the conference, the convention, I said, I'd rather have a thousand committed men and women that are mobile and that we can send different places if God wills that, than 10,000 people that can't be moved, that can't be mobile that can't be committed. I'd rather have 1,000 than 10,000 deadhead Christians. But I'm not going to settle for 1,000. 
Some people don't like to go against the grain. Some people don't like to kick up any dust. But there was people in the Bible that did it all the time. You got David, who was God's warrior. He began to do great things for God. He killed the lion, the bear, Goliath, and then he had his David's mighty men. They began to conquer. They began to do great things for God. You got Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was known as somebody that he had so much passion and he wasn't seeing the results that he began to weep for the people of Israel. Passion. You see, Paul the apostle, how many trials did he go through? How much opposition did he face? How many times was he thrown in prison? How many times was he beaten up? How many times did he have shipwrecked? How many times did he got bitten by a snake? I mean, he went through all this stuff, but yet it was God's will. And instead of losing passion, those things filled him with more passion to pursue God's will and pursue God's plan. I look at our history of Victory Outreach. We've been through many trials, many trials that you don't even know a lot of them. Some things I can't even reveal to you because they're so heavy. But yet, they continue to endure. They continue to go forward. My parents and the pioneers of this ministry, they battled on. They continue to go on, even with people that would split away and become disloyal, people that would talk behind their back. They didn't let that bother them. They didn't let that deter them. They didn't go try to please everybody that wasn't on their side. They just kept their eyes on the mission that God has given them. And today, we are a worldwide movement all over the world, the biggest inner city ministry in the world. What if he tried to please everybody? We wouldn't be half of what we are today. You can't please them all. Try to win them all, but you can't please them all. Such as all-night prayer meetings, that type of, we got to get back to those things. Streets, being faithful to church, being faithful in the ministry. See, passion draws people, but it also repels people at the same time. Did you catch that? Some people can't stand passionate people because it bothers them, rubs them wrong. You say, you're too excited. What's wrong with you? You're emotional. Why are you so happy all the time? Why why do you jump when you sing? Why do you dance, smile so much? You raise your hands so high. Why do you go to the altar and use up all the tissues? You think you're holier than thou or what? Let them criticize you. I'd rather be criticized for being more on fire for God than, not being, than being criticized for, not, for being a deadhead. I'm okay with that. I'm going to be me. And I refuse to be a minister in the front row at Mighty Men of Valor that doesn't sing or clap. Some of them are like, not just first row, second, third, fourth row, too. No, you're not too cool to serve God like you did when you got saved. Some minutes are getting mad now. Huh? Stephen's like me, though. He's into it. He's into it. I'm not talking about you guys, though. Some other guys. <laughs> See, there are times, because of the passion we have, people begin to look at us funny. They say, you're kind of weird. So what? You know that the Corinthian church, when they first started out, remember that it talks about God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? You know, it's really talking about that in that society, in that day, they were looked at as laughables. People would laugh at them. They would mock them, talk about them. You guys are weird. You're fanatical. But that church ended up turning their world upside down in their generation, their known world at that time. 
It kind of reminds me of Victor Average East LA. They were, were criticized. Addict church. Nothing can come out of those people. Those people are poor. Those people are addicts. Those people are convicts. Those people are on welfare. Pastor Sonny, what are you going to do with these people? People from in church and outside the church criticizing Victory Outreach Church when it first started out. The laughables. Look at us today, baby. Almost 50 years later, over all the world, over 30 countries. Well, who's laugh? Who has the last laugh now, baby? They said it could never be done. But that's where God steps in and says, I do all things. I can do all things. I can do the impossible. What seems impossible for man is not impossible for me. So David chose to have a passion for God. How about you today? Are you choosing to have a passion for God? I want to choose to have a passion for God. I can say honestly, there's been times where I didn't have the same passion I had at other times. But those are the times where I begin to sense it. I begin to sense I'm weakening. I begin to sense a distancing. I begin to sense a, a drudgery to go to church. I begin to sense I didn't want to be around people. And I started realizing, what's the problem here? It's my relationship with the Lord. It's not as strong as it used to be. I had to make those adjustments. If I didn't make those adjustments at those given times, I wouldn't be here today. Because if you're not passionate for God, you'll be passionate for something else. And some people choose women. Some people choose drugs. Some people choose alcohol. If you don't keep your passion strong for God, you're going to go to the vice that you're most likely to go to. Mm-mm-mm. Because some of you, before you were Christ, you had a passion for something, didn't you? You did everything to get that drug. You robbed people. Any extra addicts here? Am I in the right place? <laughs> okay. I mean, you, you would even rob your own family to get that next high. How about alcoholics? All you can think about is getting another bottle. Every morning, it was your mission. I got to get another drink. You get the shakes if you didn't have one. All these different things. You had a passion for the wrong thing. Now that you have a passion for God, don't let anything take its place. You see, though David failed at times, he kept passion for God. Let me move to the second thing. Not only a passion for God, but then you have to have a passion for purpose. A passion for purpose. You see, there's a lot of purposeless people here, to, not here today, but in the world today, that don't know their purpose, so they have really nothing to look forward to every day. They have nothing to look forward to uh, on a yearly basis. All they do is looking to make ends meet. All they do, maybe have a job instead of a career. Pursuing, just going to work. You know that a lot of people, like, I think it was 80%, if I get that right, close to 80% of people hate their jobs. They're not happy. In fact, it's just work for them just to get a check. But if you have a purpose in the Lord, whether your job stinks or not, you have a job in the kingdom of God that you can love, you can have a passion for. And the world, you know, getting what you need in the world just to make ends meet, that's fine. But then you're going to put it all toward the things of God because you have a passion for God and a passion for purpose. God has put you in this ministry for a divine reason. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You keep on pressing. You don't look back, forgetting what's behind and looking forward to what lies ahead. You can have purpose, but if you don't have a passion for it, people will not follow you. Did you hear what I just said? You can know your purpose, but if you lack passion, people won't, you're not believable. 
They don't see a conviction in you. They don't see a, a fire in you. So they're saying, you're saying one thing, but you're not showing it. It's contrary to your body language. It's contrary to your speech. It's contrary to how you're living because your passion is no longer there. You may know your purpose, but if your passion does not there, you can't feel the purpose. The passion is the motor that gets you there. In Victory Outreach, we have a general purpose to reach the hurting people of the world and to plant churches around the world, to plant new recovery homes, to raise up even more UTCs, to see our world one for Christ, to raise up more teams for different countries, to tear it up for his glory and honor. But if we don't have the right people with the right passion, we won't have the right resources to get it done. So we got to have people that are full of passion for the ministry, for the vision. Not only people that are goers, but people that are senders. The way you show passion if you're a sender is through United We Can for the world. For the world missions, if, you don't, if you're not a faithful United We Can member, then you probably don't know the full scope of the vision and you don't, you don't care. Everybody could do at least a dollar a day. You gave at least $5 a day for cigarettes or whatever you had at that time. Hello? How, how, how could we not give $1 for souls a day? That's just a starting point. Some of you had greater habits. $300 a week or whatever it may be for that drug or that vice or whatever you were doing, nightclubbing, whatever, and you can't even give $50 a month for the things of God? See, we gotta prioritize. Is our passion for the world, when we were in the world, when it comes to spending money, greater than it is for the Lord, now that we're saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, how does it match up? You're giving as far as what you put your money in. Okay, it's real quiet today. This is, this is the part, it's a guaranteed quiet moment. You don't have to say, let's have quiet time. Just talk about money. <laughs> let's have a moment of silence. Let's talk about money. Everyone start twitching and everything. <laughs> like, start scratching their, their money. Like, oh, God. <laughs> going to take my money from me today. I'm not going to take your money. But it, it takes finances to do what we're doing. There's no way we could reach the world without the financing of it. Where will you be in the future, in the, in the near future? See, without a passion for God, what tends to happen is people backslide. I like to look at it this way. Backsliding isn't sudden, it's subtle. Did you catch that? In other words, it, it's like a slow moonwalk. Looks like you're going forward. Well, there you go, Michael Jackson. Losing passion, losing passion. Before you know it, you end up right back in the ditch you came out of. Subtle. When someone backslides, it's not a, it's, it didn't happen overnight. They started thinking wrong. They started believe, not believing anymore. They, they started doing other things. They stopped serving God. And before you know it, boom. And, it's, and when victory hours people fall, they fall hard. They don't just become company man somewhere. They go right back and get worse sometimes. So you can't afford to lose your passion for God and for his purpose. Let that fire you up today. Do you know your purpose today? Have you sought God for your purpose? 
Some of you will not be back on drugs or back in prison or wherever those backslid. But you're going to be pastors. You're going to be team players. You're going to be evangelists. You're going to be youth gang leaders, kids gang leaders. Some of you are going to be missionaries. Some of you are going to be business owners. Some of you are going to be professional athletes, possibly. Doctors, lawyers. You know, I used to preach that in the gang. I say, some of you are going to be doctors and lawyers. And some of you are going to be athletes. And we have them today. When I would talk about this in the early 90s, we had none of that. But today we have people of all walks of life that have grown up in the ministry and now are being professionals and they're part of Victory Outreach and they're committed to be senders. Give the Lord a hand. There's going to be some more millionaires. I know we have a couple millionaires that are, un, that are unspoken, but I, I know there's some. There's going to be more that would not only be unspoken, they're going to give a millionaire here, here and there. Boom. Boom. Let me just give, here, let me just drop this on you, Pastor. This is just because I love you. All right. For the ministry or for me? For the ministry. Okay. <laughs> Even if it was for me, I would give half of it to the ministry. How do you get a purpose? You want to know how? How do you get the passion for God? First, you got to find God's will. How do you find God's will? You got to stop, look, and listen. Some people are so moving all the time, they don't take time to stop. They're just moving around, doing things, doing things, task oriented, just getting things done. Let me get things done. I just got to get this done. I got always busy, busy, busy. Instead of taking it, just stop. Turn off the TV, stop with the kids, go in the backyard, whatever you got to do to get away from the clutter and the noise, and start seeking God. He'll start showing you. And you look, and you have an ear to listen and a heart to receive. Secondly, when you get that word, believe it. Some people can't believe it when God shows them something big. You're, see, your purpose is always going to be bigger than itself. If, it's, if you could do it in the natural, then it's not God. But if it's going to take God's power, if it's going to take his anointing, his wisdom, if it's something that's bigger than itself, then that's usually the Lord. And then usually God will even send confirmation through somebody that could, that's sensitive to the spirit. And then you're right on the right track. You, now you, now you, you've heard the voice, you know the will, you believe it, then you do it. Then you do it. Nothing stops you from doing it. And it takes faith to do it. When we moved out of La Puente, it took a lot of faith. You know, we went through a situation with the county, and the CUP, the conditional use permit with the new building we had there at La Puente. And so what happened is that we had people that were in our neighborhood, just two people that came against us with the city. And they found out we didn't have a conditional use permit. When I took over the church, I, even, I didn't even know what CUP meant. It's cup. So I didn't even know. I had no idea. So we had this one big event. We had Art Blahos, packed it out. Cars everywhere. Then we had one guy, Danny Carrera, with his bullhorn, you know, yelling in the, in the line. So the neighbors started getting mad. They said, we had it now. Too many events. And then they found out we didn't have a CUP. So then, I, you know, then they took us to the court. Then we had to bring our people to, to verify that what we're doing is a good work, blah, blah, blah. So then it ended up deciding that we're going to have to give you a conditional use permit. You're going to be on a three-year probation. You can only have two services a week. Basically, we can't have conferences there no more. 
and have special events, all these things that we do in Victory Outreach. So then what did I do? Am I going to succumb to that? Or do I ask the Lord and ask the people, what should we do next? So we decided to sell, find a new place, property, and build again in a commercial area where they won't bother us with the neighbors and stop us from God's work. So a lot of people don't know the backstory. I gave it to you. Why do we move out of La Puente? I've just told you. And there's more to it. I could even go further, but I don't want to over-detail you guys. But there was a decision I had to make, and my dad put it on me. He said, you make the decision. This is your church. Whatever decision you make, we'll go with it. So I prayed, stopped, I looked, I listened, stopped, looked, I listened, hit the ground, stopped, looked, listened, fell down on my face. <laughs> and then God gave me the green light. And you're not always positive all the time, but I said, please let this be right. <laughs> So we said, we're going to sell, and we're going to find a new place. Then I had no idea, because the people said, it's going to take about a year and a half to get in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, all right. Year and a half, ooh, I'll be right in there, moving forward. One year goes. Two years go. Three years go. Four. Five. In the middle of that time frame. See, when we left La Puente, the economy took a hit. Right after we left, then we were out there and the people were hurting financially. Because we had some money to use, but we didn't have all the money to build. I needed to pick it up from the people. But they were all hurting. And some of them left our church to go to Whittier. Deserted me. Which I didn't get mad. I said, all right, it's fine. They want to go that route. And so here I am on a journey. Two years go by, we get stuck. The building project stops. People are asking me, everywhere I go, I come to Hayward, how's the building program? I don't know. I mean, it's the worst question I could hear wherever I would travel. How's the building going? And so I knew there was a lot of talk circulating all over Victory Outreach. Are they ever going to get in there? Man, you shouldn't have left La Puente. I just know that happened. I'm not dumb. They didn't tell me directly. But I had that feeling of like, Loserville. <laughs> Stepped out, made the move. Nothing's working. Did you make the right decision? I started second questioning myself. I remember in my dad's, off, my dad's my office in my house with my wife on the floor seeking God and asking him, please confirm again that this is going to happen. Because I thought you promised me this. And if this is really your promise, I need a confirmation because I don't know if I can go on a day, a day further. And at that time, my dad calls me. And to add insult to injury, he says, what did you do? I go, I don't know, dad. I did my best. So now, 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 now I got nobody but my wife. We prayed. God gave us a scripture. We were broken because it confirmed to us it's going to happen. I got off that floor with a new sense of promise, a new sense of passion. Came back to that pulpit preaching faith again. It's going to happen, Victory Outreach Mother Church. We're going to get in there. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I know God has said it. What's going to happen? 
It didn't happen right away after that. It took another two and a half years, but God brought us in and we inherited that, that, that land. We possessed the land. You know what's kind of heavy too is that we show a video of us getting in there. It was a computer generated video. And remember that? And it's like graphic, remember? You did it? You made it, all right. Anyway, so in that video, that song is How Great Is Our God. How great is our... When I come on the stage, and I was a skinny preacher on that video. <laughs> I said, by the time we get in the building, I'm going to be like that. It never happened. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm driving up. Okay, the first Sunday, our opening day. I'm driving up, and I'm listening to the message on the, you know, the satellite radio? It's Christian music. And so right when I'm getting ready to turn into Victory Way, how great is our God. Boom, as I'm driving in the parking lot, sing with me. And it was like God says, I, I took care of you. I just want to remind you, this is me. Give the Lord a praise clap. Isn't that awesome? See, now's the time. If you want that passion, now's the time to prepare. There's no time to waste. Prepare. How do you prepare? By prayer and the word and fasting. Many of you are doing that right now, and that's good. Now's the time to not only prepare, but to position yourself. Be counted on. Make yourself available. Make yourself known. In the ministry you're presently in, be a go-getter. Be a, one that gets the job done. Don't be one on the background. Be one that steps up. And says, you know what, what, what do I need to do, leader? Or if you are a leader, what do I need to do, pastor, to make my ministry better? You see, every ministry, every core ministry in the church needs to have a passion infusion. Every core leader in the church needs to have that passion. And that passion comes from the pastor. If the pastor doesn't have it, that person may not have it to the degree they could have had it. The pastor has to have the passion for every core ministry. And when he sees it dwindling, he has to go in there and get them back on fire for their ministry. Re-envision that ministry. Let them know how important they are. Let them know how important they are to the growth of the church. Giving them visions for the growth. That you don't have to stay in a small level. But you can grow and expand. You don't have to just have five kids gang leaders. You could have 10. You could have 15. You could have 20. You don't have to be a small little youth group, pizza party people. No, you could have a ministry where there's 100 or 100 or 200 or 300. You don't have to stay small, but God could raise you up and raise others up under you that have the same passion you have to build that ministry you're over because every ministry in the church is important. The music ministry, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the rehab ministry, all of them are important in order for the church to grow. Hinges on us, pastors. I got some more work to do when I get back from Africa. I'm not satisfied. So pre prepare, position, but thirdly, progress. What do I mean by that? Progress through the trials of life. Progress through tribulations, through sickness. Whatever comes against you, financial problems, you got to progress through it. Don't let it pull you down. Don't let it suck the life out of you. Don't let it cause you to lose your passion. Don't start blaming God and say, God, I've been doing this for you, and now this is happening. Don't do that. Just say, God, I'll count it all joy. When I fall into various trials and tribulations, knowing that it's going to be producing something in me, perseverance and endurance. You see, the trials I went through those five years, I produced a backbone in me that's stronger than ever. I got a spiritual stamina 
spiritual strength that I could never have had to the degree I have it if I didn't go through those storms and the trials that I went through. I'm able to speak with more authority because I've been through it. I am able to speak with more levels of faith because I've been through it. Not only my story, but I can look to my parents' story. Faith, faith, faith. We heard it at conference. Faith, faith, faith. That's how it grows when you progress through your, tr- your trials. I'm going to stay home today. I don't feel like going. Come on, get up. Keep on going. Keep on moving. Keep on pressing. Now is the time not only to prepare a position or progress, but also to produce fruit. If people say, I, I feel I'm called to go out, I look for the fruit. Okay, you have no disciples. Have you built anything? Well, I've been a staff in the home. Okay, that's one good thing. But what was produced? I've been this, I've been that. Where's the fruit? The life group that you have, the people that were in it last year, where are they today? Is it a revolving door? You get them saved, they backslide. You get new crops saved, they backslide. You get this group saved, they end up going somewhere else. Or are these people being discipled, raised, becoming leaders? Are you producing not just disciples, but leaders? If you want to go somewhere, you better show me some. Right? That's what I tell my leaders. If you don't show nothing, I can't put you in a place of higher level leadership. I got quiet again. I guess I could talk on two things to get it quiet. <laughs> we don't want to hear that, do we? I look for fruit trails. I look for fruit trail. Look, oh, wow. This guy came up through this guy. This guy came up through the same, same guy. This guy. Wow, look at this guy. He's producing. Every one of you could do it. It's not, it just takes time. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It takes commitment. All the stuff we talked about. It takes a lot of passion. A lot of the people in the gang back in the day are now pastoring all over, all over the world. And even the second group that came through Philip and, and my brother Tim, a lot of them are still out there ministers and pastors. A lot of the youth gang leaders became ministers and pastors. That's a fruit trail. I don't get the glory. God gets the glory. But I had some part to play. And that's what we look for in leadership. Are you still alive out there? Passion is also personal. It's caught, not taught. I'm hoping you're catching it right now. As I teach you, catch it though. Catch the, 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 the feeling that I'm giving you. It comes from within, within not from without. The reason why this ministry continues to go forward is because my dad hasn't lost that passion. Did you see him at, at this mighty man? How many of you saw him with the minister's thing? Wow, man. I mean, that passion continues to burn on. It's convicting. He could be retired. He could have said, you guys take it from here. I'm going to go on cruises all year round. <laughs> Just live by the beach. No. That fuels him. The vision. The mission. The reason why he's living so long is because he's so impassioned with the vision. People that lose the vision for their life, they begin to deteriorate. They begin to break down and they get older quicker. Are you hearing me? I know young, younger guys that are 10 years younger that look way older. Why? Because they begin to pull back. I'm getting old. I'm this. I need to do this. No, keep that passion burning. It makes you younger. Makes you feel younger when you're on fire for God and you're doing what God's called you to do. Secondly, not only passion is personal, but passion is progressive. Passion is progressive. It grows more fire. Let me ask you this important question. 
Are you more on fire today than you've ever been in your walk? If you can say honest yes, then thank God for that. But if you can't say honest yes, then your passion has stopped growing. But you could get it back. That's why I'm here. God brought me here to fire you up again. God brought me here to raise your level of passion. When I first, when, I, when he told me I'm speaking, the first word that came to mind, passion. I didn't even have to pray about it. And not to say you don't have it, but I'm saying it could grow more. It's progressive. Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. That's what it feels like right now. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I can't help but deliver the message. Third, passion is contagious. People will begin to want what you have. Do you want what I have today? I hope I'm being contagious in a good way. I want to infect you with this disease called passion. <laughs> Some of you want to get shot out, I'll shoot you up. Passion. Passion. You want to grow your church? You gotta stay passionate. Pastors, I really say this in you, the wives too. If you guys are both passionate, oh, oh my God. The devil, has, he's going to be nervous. Uh-oh, they both are on fire now. Oh, my God. He was on fire, then she wasn't, then I got her on fire, and he wasn't. I kept rotating them, and I had them under control. But now they both caught it. Ay, ay, ay. Two are better than one. A three-fold cord is not easily broken. I love it when my wife's on fire. She's on fire more than me sometimes. <laughs> You know, you go through your ups and downs, your, your ebbs and your flows in ministry, but you got to really stay on top of this one. Amen? So what do we have to do with all this excitement, all this fire, all this passion? We take it to the streets. We take it to the world. So lastly, passion for souls. Passion for souls. All this passion, we use it for the purposes of building his kingdom. We don't use it to glorify ourselves. We don't use it to, to put ourselves in a place where I'm more on fire than you. I preach better than you. I'm a better leader than you. No, we're not, we're not into that. The Bible said build us up others, right? Keep the passion burning like that. The Bible says Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that's, that which was lost. Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. I think we know the scriptures by heart. But we've got to remain faithful to evangelism. If you want to grow your church and you're small right now, key is evangelism with a lot of passion. It's not a bunch of structure. Structure will strangulate your growth. If you structure too much, where it becomes programmatic, programmatic. You need that passion to burn. You need that fire to burn. You need people to catch the spirit of evangelism. It's not a program. It's a spirit of evangelism. So when you're under 100 people, if you are, you got to be stirring that up all the time, along with discipleship. Prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. Those three things right there are vital to you growing. Also, there's other things, the music, all that other stuff goes on with it. But we have to, we can't act like a big church in a small setting. So when you're in a bigger church, there's opportunities for evangelism across the board. There's all these types of evangelism. We have kids and gang evangelism. We have youth evangelism. We have church-wide evangelism. We have Life group evangelism. We have the homes take the streets. I mean, we have so many arsenals, so many weapons in our arsenal that we could use at any time. But when you're a small church, it takes a whole effort on the main leader 
and the core people in that leadership. Am I hitting home with anybody? Jesus' passion was so great that he literally gave his life on the cross for you and me. Imagine that passion. They call it the Holy Week, the Passion Week. We went to that cross. He went through Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed drops of blood, but he stuck with the mission. He says, if not my will, but thy will be done. You know what he thought of? He thought of the souls that would be reached, that it was worth the price of giving his life up in such a brutal way. How much more should we carry out this gospel? We're not suffering on a cross. We're taking that Savior, suffering servant, and giving, them, giving hope to people that are lost and bound because he's no longer dead, he's alive. The resurrected Savior, the powerful Savior. And the best way to reach people is your testimony. You can't tell your testimony without passion. If you give your testimony without passion, people say, who wants to be like you? You're dead. You give that testimony with a smile. You're sharing that love of Christ. Put your arm around it so you could do it too. Friday night at Mighty Men of, after Mighty Men of Valor, we went to the hat. You ever heard of the hat? Pastrami. Oh, God. I just, got, I just had a taste right now of it. Chili cheese fries. My God. It was, it was not good, but it was good, you know? I thought we had a full week. It's time to just bless myself. Some there, there was Pastor Al and Georgina and a few others from his church sitting there. Then all of a sudden, all, the, all these people from Victory Outreach start showing up. This one young lady comes up. She's probably in her 20s. She starts talking, and for some reason, she starts talking about her problems, that this person died, and this one of her friends committed suicide, and all these tragedies surrounding her. And then my sister Georgina says, let me ask you a question. Are you saved? She happens to be a PK, you know, and she goes, no, I'm not. And I go, really? I go, why not? And I pulled, I had her by the arm. I said, why not? She says, well, I don't know. I'm just not ready. And I go, there's no better time to be ready right now than right now. And I went after it. I just went, boom. I just started giving her, giving to her. And I said, you're just like us. We're all PKs. Her dad died. Not the one you know, the other one, another one. And so she's surrounded by all these PK Christians. She got set up. Holy Ghost set up. So I said, we've been through the same stuff you've been through. But we're your family. You're not alone. She goes, I feel fear and anxiety wherever I go. I go, that will, that will vanish when you give your heart to the Lord. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Just give your heart to him now. It felt so good. In two minutes, maybe three, letter to Christ. And PKs are hard ones to lead <laughs> on the normal level. She got saved. I go, now what do you got to do? You got to call your mom. Tell her. Tell your brothers. Tell your sister. Tell them you're saved now because they all are saved but her. And she did it. I checked up on her the next day. She did it. And I pray that she continues to go forward. Amen? Soul winning. There's nothing like it. I win souls every week on a big mass level. But when I'm one-on-one, ooh, it feels like a divine opportunity. Like there's no music, no lighting. Sound men are doing, they have nothing to do with it. It's not how I preach. It's just a matter of the moment. Bam. Now she's part of the kingdom. Isn't that powerful? I have passion for you today. 
to see you get passionate. I want to see you catch it like never before. I want to see Norland Cal unite like never before. Come on. Now lastly, how do I get passion? Number one, believe that passion is the deciding factor for your life. Believe that passion is the deciding factor for your life. In other words, you can't, you can't take the place of that. You can't substitute it for anything else. Secondly, how do you get passion? You pray for it. Real simple, pray. Isn't it weird how hard it is to pray sometimes? It's like, why is it? There's a devil, that's why. And you got your flesh. So you got two things going against you, you, you praying. Another thing, your thought life, because you start thinking, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to. And so when you're praying, your mind's like a meteorite all over the place. Instead of concentrating on who you're speaking to. You know what I try to do? I try to pray in the car. I pray, of course, at home. I pray at night. I, I wake up thinking, singing songs in my head. I want to keep my eyes on the Lord. I want to keep my mind on the God. Sometimes I, I, I don't even watch TV because I know it's going to take me off course a little bit. Even if it's not bad television, it's just good. But I want my eyes, my mind to be on Christ mostly than anything else. Does this sound weird to you? Does it sound weird? It's okay if it does. I'd rather be the laughing stock of passion than a deadhead, lemon-dipped Christian. Sour. Bless the Lord. Bless the nothing with that face. I love Jesus. No, you don't. I love the Lord. See that? And it's not a show. It's, it comes out, whew. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for raising me. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. I know I'm a miracle. I could not speak before I got saved. I was bad at it. I know God put words in my mouth. I know God called me. I know that I'm here today as a living, walking miracle. You got to start thinking of yourself that way too. Did you know that you are fulfillment to promise? You are fulfillment to promise. You guys are promise fulfilled. And God has more promises to be fulfilled. Isn't that powerful? Thirdly, get around passionate people. If you're hanging around dead people, guess what? Deadness begins to get on you. If you're around a dead corpse, a literally dead corpse, what happens? If you touch that dead corpse, you can get diseased, right? Hello? That could happen in the, in the church, too. But they're fun. I like the way they have fun. They like to go out and eat. They like to talk about people. They like to talk about the pastor. Oh, they're fun. Every time they speak, it's like truffles. I mean, they just, you're feeding off a dead person. Get away from them. Get by passionate people. Then go back and try to impassion them. But if they're not catching it, back off again. But if, you, if you're going to get infected by them, make, make sure you make that move before it gets on you. Amen? John Wesley said this. He's the founder of the Methodist church back in the day. Known as a great preacher. Powerful preacher. He said this, I just set myself on fire and the folks come to watch me burn. Mm -mm -mm. The last point here, how do I get passion? 
Simply return to your first love. See, apathy isn't a state of mind. It's a state of heart. Apathy means without love. When you become apathetic, you can't reach a soul. You can't even encourage people in the church because there's no love. And what did Paul say? Without love, you're like a clanking cymbal. Without love, you can't accomplish anything. Love is a key factor, but it all starts with your love relationship with the Lord. You see, when you get involved with your love relationship with the Lord, he gives you a supernatural abundance of love to give out. The Bible says love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. If you go here, look at me. If you go here, then you can go here and right here. Boom, boom, boom. It's like a triangle. You're able to, boom, get it from here. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. And then even go to another step, love your enemies. Supernaturally. Because God's love is unconditional and limitless. I don't know how many times I had to love people that didn't love me. People say, I don't want to do this no more because people stab me in the back. Shut up. Expect stabs. Expect big old wounds all over your back. If you're going to be in high-level leadership, expect people not to like you. You can't win them all, all the time. And for some reason, it can be people that even have, ever have a conversation with you. They don't like you. One time I had an altar call praying for somebody, and they, they, they pulled back on me, and I go, what's wrong? They go, I don't like you. What's your name? <laughs> I don't even know you, man. She said, I just don't like you. She was a girl. I go, okay. Um, all right, I guess I won't pray for you. <laughs> I'll pray from the distance. <laughs> I had this other guy, when I took over the church, he was been in our church for many years, and after, you know, like, you know, I was taking over the church, sometimes I arrived late to church, and that was not good but I was trying to get my messages done last minute at times to get the last touches. So I'd arrive maybe five, ten minutes late. And uh, he would be in the parking lot. I would see him on the phone. I would, I would always say, what is he doing out here? But then i just go in and take care of what i got to do. I later find out, my dad tells me, that this person would call him and tr- talk about me and say, Pastor Sonny, your son's late again. <laughs> this is when my dad was in San Diego. And then my dad told me this. He told me the name. And I go, ooh, this dude, man. But then what I have to do that following Sunday? Because this guy was the type of guy who would come to you and hug you. He likes to pull you close, too. You ever get one of those guys? Right here. So So that next Sunday, I had to let it go, preach like I normally preach, come off the pulpit. He comes to me, starts complimenting me. And I'm thinking, you're a lying devil. <laughs> you don't mean a word you're saying. <laughs> but I had to let it go. One time he came up to me, because I need to meet with you tomorrow, on a Monday. And I said, okay, what time? Can you call me before you come? He goes, he grabbed me. He goes, no, I don't need to call you. I'll come when I want, just like I did with your dad. I go, get your arms off, hands off me. <laughs> I go, I'm not my dad. I'm different. That's just two examples. I could go on another hour on this subject. <laughs> but what do I have to do? Let it go. Let it fall off my back. Pray that God would help me to love my enemies because I don't really love them out of the flesh because I can't love them right now. I, and then whatever, I didn't use it as a bully pulpit either. 
Some of you are enemies and I'm pointing right at them, you enemy, devil, lie, demon, deceivers, gossiper. Some people use the pulpit as a, to get back to their enemies. You can't do that. Even in your life groups or any ministry you're in, you don't use your platform to minister to spoil the whole flock over one or two people. That's what the devil wants you to do. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Don't give attention to it. That's why when you're passionate for God, you're passionate for purpose, you have passion for souls, those things won't take away your passion because you're so fired up, you're so passionate, you see the good things that are taking place, focus in on the positive rather than focusing on one or two negatives, it keeps you alive, it keeps you moving forward, and it keeps you passionate. Give the Lord a hand, come on now. So I ask you today, have you lost your passion? Has your passion lessened? Your passion for God, your passion for people, your passion for souls, has it lessened over the years? Or are you still passionate at a high level for God? There was a, somebody said, an author of all church members in America, he put some stats together. I want you to listen to this. He said 20% of church members never attend, 25% never pray, 30% never read the Bible. Come to the piano. 30% 30% never read the Bible, 40% never give to church, 60% never give to missions, 75% never assume ministry or service in the church, and 95% never have won a person to Christ. But 100% expect to go to heaven. <laughs> Crazy? Now, I think this study was done of other denominations I don't think they took Victory Outreach into account when they did this study. But we can't fall into that trap, becoming like the ordinary church, the general church down the street. That's why we preach about passion. That's why we preach about commitment. That's why we preach about sacrifice. That's why we preach about giving. That's why we preach about taking the world. We can't be like other churches. We have a mission. We have a specific orders, a specific assignment to do things that other people will not want to do or don't do. I was recently in Brazil, and I saw the need out there. It was beautiful. I was able to see some of the, remember the street children's home we used to have? Anybody remember those days? About 20-something years ago. And I was able to see a couple of the young people that are now adults. One of them was David. I don't remember the story of David. He's the first one that got into a car. He just jumped in the car when they went to the streets, and he was hooked on paint, you know, sniffing paint. And he was six years old at the time. Six years old. Street child, all dirty. He would take the leftovers from people that would leave leftovers and eat their leftovers. He would, he would take their, their leftover beers or whatever they were drinking and drink and sniff paint. And he says he would do it to stay warm and to ease his pain. And so what I was able to do, I took him right back to where he came from. We went to those same streets, the same area. He told his story. Now he's 28 years old told his story and they showed, we did a video on it. And to see him now, 22 years later, not only rescued, but thriving now, he's gonna be opening up a barber shop pretty soon. And he was so grateful. How did that happen? By people giving United We Can. He's just one of many. There's more Davids out there. 
more people to touch. Right now in Africa, souls are being saved in one. How does that happen? People willing to go, people willing to send, people willing to support and pray. So today, I declare to you, passion is a key to your purpose and to soul winning. You can't live without it. You can't, do, you can't be productive without it. I want everyone to stand. If you want to come to this altar, I don't think I need to see another word. Just come if you want more of God here at this altar.